Good morning, everybody. I'm Gus, if you don't know who I am, uh, and be speaking to us this morning. Not really that it's my words that you want to be listening to today, actually. You want to be listening to what God is saying. And God has already spoken during our worship. And I'm hoping, and probably is just a hope at this stage, that he will carry on speaking through what I've got to say as well, which is on a similar theme. But God has already spoken. He's already spoken about wanting to bring peace to us as a people today. Uh, Lawrence prophesied it, that peace which transcends all understanding or guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What is peace that can transcend understanding? It's peace in God. And then Colin brought that brilliant story from Jesus being on the boat in the storm. He was there in the boat on a cushion like that. Jesus had a cushion. But he was there in the boat in the storm. And uh, my message this morning is a is largely a teaching message around peace. There's quite a lot of the Bible in it. Uh, And then we end up with some practical stuff at the end. And we end up, as we often do in Oasis Church, with a response around the whole theme of peace. But I thought I'd ask the response questions now so you can think about those response questions when they come again at the end. And the questions are, are you at peace with God today? Are you at peace with God today? Are you, as a follower of Jesus, at peace? Because you might know what it is to be in God, and I'll explain some of that as we go through, but are you at peace in your relationship with God? Is there stuff in your life that is getting you down for whatever reason, and you need an encounter of the peace of God? You might not be a follower of Jesus. You might be somebody who doesn't know God at all, and you're wondering what peace looks like and longing for peace. Are you at peace? Because I want to present to you peace that can uh, transcend all understanding this morning. And are you a peacemaker and a peace bringer? Can you bring peace in whatever context you're in? Are you someone that does that? Or are you someone that, if you're honest, sometimes makes things a little bit uneasy or unhelpful? You're thinking, I want to bring more peace than I do. Those are the sorts of questions that I'm going to ask again at the end. And I'd like us all to be thinking about those questions as I go through, because God wants to meet us this morning and bring us his peace. I wanted to start uh, uh, my, 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 my prepared start, so that wasn't my prepared start. My prepared start was basically to, to start with an expression which is this, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. Those of us, I'm sure everybody in this room has had that, that, heard that expression. Here are some pictures that I thought you'd find quite amusing to uh, affirm that comment. As we say in the corridors of Oasis Church, sometimes it is what it is. That is an expression that, it's, that it is what it is, uh, particularly like the kittens on the end there. <laughs> it's just the case, isn't it, that, that we are sons and daughters of our natural mums and dads, and therefore it is just the case that we carry physical traits and characteristic traits from our parents. And whether we want to or not, it often just is the case. And even as you go through sort of our teenage and possibly early 20s, when we want to reject everything that we see in our mother and father and be completely the opposite, somehow experience of life and God's hand on our world just makes us become like our parents. And we can reject it as much as we like, but it is there. We have physical traits and we have characteristic traits from my mum and dad. I wanted to finish with this last picture, which I quite like. This is me being a like father, like son picture. That's me and Sol. Yeah, I know. That's great. What a great picture that is. Uh, that's from 2005. Sol's not here to tell me that I'm not allowed to put it up. 
So I didn't ask him. He's on holiday at the moment, so he doesn't even know it's happening. Uh, but that's a picture of me and Sol up a mountain in Wales uh, when he was about eight years old. Me doing what I like doing with Sol, like father, like son. We were on an adventure together. And uh, the cunning little link is that we're on an adventure uh, as Oasis Church at the moment. We felt God speak to us, didn't we, last end of last year about being on an adventure. And very soon after that happened, God moved us out of our home for the last eight, ten years at Edgbaston Cricket Stadium, where we've been meeting as a church on a Sunday and had an office space for a while, and has moved us out of there into here. Uh, we didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, had God not spoken, we might have been caught out by surprise. But because God had spoken, when it did happen, it didn't spook us in the slightest. We all thought, great. God spoke adventure over us, and we're on the adventure. So let's get on and do it. And so whilst we know that being here is a little bit unsettling and new and different and all that kind of stuff, we're totally on the, on the nose in, in terms of the fact that God is with us on the journey. And we've said week on week during uh, the series that we're in, which is City Adventures, that we don't want to become inward-looking on our adventure. We don't want to just huddle in and think, oh, let's make it nice, let's make it right, let's just get peaceful together. We want to make sure that we keep an eye out for people that are around us that might be looking in. More particularly than ever, now that we're here at the MAC, where there's real people all around us all the time. I know that you are a real person too, so I'm not demeaning your existence in life, but you know what I mean. We've got people that might have questions about God or the church or Christianity or Jesus literally out there that might possibly find him as a result of us being here. And that's what we want. We want to see people come in to know Jesus as a result of us being here. At the max. So we're in, a, we're in a series called City Adventures because we're on an adventure as a church, we're in a city, and we felt God speak to us about this next sermon series, which is being, uh, having a city adventure. And we based it on the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 7. I'm going to read those verses again. Uh, for those of us that have been here over the last two or three weeks, we've read this every single week, so hopefully it's getting in us now. But I'm going to read these verses again, and then I'm going to draw out from these verses our theme today, which is peace in the city peace in the city, which is why I am encouraged that we've already had such a strong introduction from God to this message this morning. So Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 7, it's on the screen behind me, you can follow it. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. That is our heart for us being here, as I've already said, that we don't just stay where we are. We don't just decrease in number. We just kind of hold our ground, if you like. We're looking to introduce Jesus to more and more people. We want to increase, not for our own well-being, but for the glory of God. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Last week, Mike talked about what it meant to prosper the city, and it was largely a message around wholeness and well-being in the city. And he encouraged us both as gathered churches in the things that we do together to bring prosperity to the city, and he encouraged us as individuals in our scattered lives to bring prosperity to the city. That's uh, Mike's message from last week. And this week we're building on it by looking at those, the similar kind of thing in terms of what it means to be peace to the city. Peace to the city as a gathered church, as a scattered church. And scattered doesn't mean that we're disparate. It means that we are all where we are in our unique 
places in our world that we live in. Peace is never far away from people's lips, and even more so in the days in which we live. When we look at the news, Lawrence was prophesying about it earlier on, we see our nation in a state of flux, at least at the moment, because of what's happened during the week. And a lot of people are uneasy about it and don't know which way it's going to turn. People want, I'll use the political word, stability. But actually what they really want is peace. They want to feel safe. They want to know that everything's going to be okay. If you look on the international spectrum, you see wars and rumours of wars everywhere. We've seen in our nation over the last two or three weeks, tragically, and across the nations on an ongoing basis, acts of terror, which cause people to be full of fear. And so the desire for peace is never too far from people's lips. They want peace. It's common ground that people can gather around. But it isn't necessarily easy to achieve or easy to maintain, even though people want it. So we're going to look at the whole subject of peace this morning. And I want to start off by saying this reasonably untheological statement, which is this. God is absolutely massive on peace. God is absolutely massive on peace. I didn't find that expression in any of the commentaries as I was doing my preparation, but I thought there is room for a Gus Rosie version, and there it is. It is often the case that God is misunderstood as the cause or reason for the lack of peace. People often say there would be no wars, there would be no division, there would be no terror if there was no God, if it wasn't for religion. That's what people say. I hear that said all the time. It's people's uh, most often ob uh, primary objective. Uh, sorry, not objective, what's the word? Rejection of God. If there was no God, the, the world would be a more peaceful place. I, I say to that disgust, as you'd expect me to say, it's one of my little catchphrases that Mike stole last week. I say, I say disgust, because I think it's the human heart that is so self-centred and inwardly curved that wants to impose its view on different people that causes war and division and separation. It's the selfishness of the human heart, not faith in and of itself. It'd be interesting to hear what you have to say. So God is often misunderstood as the cause or reason for peace, but actually, when you look at the Bible, you find peace is intrinsic in God. Peace is all over him. It's in him. And we're going to look at seven weighty reminders of how important peace is in God from the Bible, briefly. And I say briefly because I've got seven of these, then I've got three aspects of how God brings peace to us, and then I've got another six or seven, how does it work out in practice? And you're thinking, oh my goodness, Gus, I cannot ha handle this this morning. Yes, you can, because it's going to change you and move you and help you in how you handle peace. So hang in there with it. Just because there's lots of them doesn't mean you can switch off. You mean, oh, they're bite-sized, or so something's going to be good for you this morning in God. So let's look at the first one. This is weighty reminders about how intrinsic a part of God peace is. And it first is, it's a characteristic of God. Judges 6, verse 24, this is when God encounters Gideon in the Old Testament, tells him to do something. Gideon says, I can't do it. God says, yes, you can, you're my man. Gideon gets it. And then he built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. It's one of his names. God is peace. In the New Testament, nearly all the letters, if not all of them, finish with an exhortation that God is peace. Romans, the God of peace be with you. Corinthians, the God of love and peace be with you. Philippians, God of peace be with you. Peace 
is an intrinsic part of God's character. Second, peace is a blessing for his followers. Number 624, you might have heard this before, proclaimed by church leaders over congregations. It happens in loads of churches all over the nation, probably happens today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. It's a great prayer to pray over anybody, if I could say it. (laughs) That's a great prayer, isn't it? God giving you peace. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers in the New Testament, for they will be called children of God. We'll come back to that verse. That's That's a charge for us to be a blessing of peace to people. Third, a value to pursue. Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Our verse in Jeremiah, where God is calling us to seek the peace of our city. Corinthians, God has called us to live in peace. It's a value to pursue that God has charged us to pursue. It's a covenant promise from God. Isaiah 54, verse 10, a promise uh, from God to the uh, nation of Israel, which said, this is what I'm here for you to do. And though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, for my covenant of peace, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This covenant of peace, this promise, commitment of peace from God to his people, which includes us now, post-Jesus, will not be removed. It is there and available for all of us. Peace is a godly greeting in the Bible. A godly greeting. You greet people with peace. Judges 6.23, when God did show up to Gideon and he was completely scared out of his mind, the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die because you've seen the living God. Luke 24.36, post Jesus and his resurrection, while they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said to them what? Peace be with you. A greeting from God. We can greet people with peace and bring peace into their context just by saying that. But it's not just a greeting, it's also a parting. A godly parting. 1 Samuel 1.17, Eli says to Hannah, she's a woman that goes into the temple to pray to God because she can't have children, she won't have kids. He sees her there, has a chat with her, and then he says to her what? Go in peace. Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. You go in my peace. Luke 7.50, this is the woman that anointed Jesus with perfume. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Not just a greeting, a parting as well. Peace coming in, peace going out. And then we've got peace as a truth in Jesus. So if you're not getting it already, that peace is an intrinsic part of the character of God, then you've got Jesus who is the exact representation of God, as it says in Hebrews. So surely we're going to find something to do with peace in the person of Jesus Christ. You would hope, if if God is real, and Jesus is part of the Godhead, as is the Holy Spirit, you'd find some peace in Jesus. Well, of course you do. He was the Prince of Peace, is the Prince of Peace. Peace announced before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah 9 verse 7, it's a Christmas verse, isn't it? But hey, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace announced before Jesus arrived on planet Earth. He is the catalyst for peace. So it was announced at his birth as well. Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest heaven by all the angels who are really excited. And on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. Peace before the birth of Jesus, peace at the birth of Jesus. 
Jesus is the bringer of peace, shown through his life. So the woman that he healed with the internal bleeding, I've preached on that before. When she went all through that, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Another one, go in peace. He's given her peace, healing from her condition, healing in terms of her wholeness, and then says, peace I give you, go with it. Jesus is the bringer of peace. Jesus is the lever of peace. Promised before his death, what does he say? John 14, 27. I think this came out in, Colin said this earlier as well. Peace I live with you, my peace I give you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. That's from Jesus. Jesus is the bridge for peace, fulfilled through his death. We'll come back to this verse later. Colossians 1, 19, 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the bridge for peace, and Jesus is the restorer of peace, announced after his resurrection. There's that verse again, John 24, 26. A week later, his disciples were in that house. Everything had gone completely wrong. They were hiding. They were fearful. Didn't know what was going on. They were fearing for their own lives. Thomas was with them, doubting Thomas, as we know. Though the doors were locked, the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Surprise! He didn't say that. We well, might have done. He said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Announced before his birth, announced at his birth, shown through his life, promised in his, before his death, fulfilled through his death, and announced after his resurrection, peace as a truth found in Jesus. And the reason it's found in Jesus is because Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is part of the Godhead. So if we haven't got it already, peace isn't just something that's politically cool, that people want in life. Peace is something that is intrinsically part of who God is. He offers it to everyone, and to everybody he gives it to, anyone can receive it. It's an outstandingly different type of peace to the peace that the world gives. The idea of there being more peace without God is completely at odds to what God himself is presenting to us in the Bible. He's saying the only true peace is found in him, not in rhetoric or negotiation or compromise. It's found in God. And that section was designed to help us see that so that we know that we're standing on a foundation of peace presented to us by God. John 14, 27, it's that verse again. Jesus says, my peace I give you, I do not give you as the world gives. It's altogether completely different peace from God. The question is then, what does peace with God look like? What does it look like? And the answer to that question is it looks like this. Three things, peace with God, peace with each other, and peace with ourselves. Peace with God, peace with each other, and peace with ourselves. Let's look at peace with God first. The most important thing for any human being to discover is their peace with God. Their peace with God. What does that mean? That sounds a bit fluid, doesn't it? A bit kind of spiritual or like anything goes type thing. Whatever your God is, as long as you find peace with it, then you'll be whole as a human being. I'm not saying that at all saying something completely different. God has crafted every human being in existence to have an insatiable desire to crave for more within them. We're always looking for more. We're looking for more love. We're looking for more understanding. We're looking for more experience. We're looking for more 
power, passion, acceptance, adventure. We're always looking for more. We have an inbuilt desire to want to have some kind of need fulfilled in us. And we look for everything we possibly can in order for that need to be fulfilled. And sometimes we can go after something, whether it's an experience or an emotion or some kind of risky thing or whatever it might be. We can go after it and we think we found it. And then we, this thing gives us all the pleasure we think it can possibly give us. And then after a while we think, well, that's not it and I'll, I'll keep looking for something else. And then we think we've fully extended the experience of whatever it is we're in and we start thinking, well, that's not it after all. I'll look at something different. God has put in us as, a hu- as human beings a desire to seek after something more. And it's not a negative thing. It's not a negative thing. It's a God-given thing. And the reason it's a God-given thing is because God wants us to search for him. Because he knows that he is the one that gives us more love than we can ever understand, more acceptance that we can ever understand, more experience that we can ever understand, more security in ourselves that we can ever understand, more adventure that we can ever understand. So the desire to look after these things is a good thing, but it's only ever found in God. And when we see God and understand that, when we get it, when we see him for who he really is, a God of peace, a God of love, a God of acceptance, a God of kindness, a God of gentleness, a God who's on on our side, when we see it for the first time, our hearts melt. Because we realize we've been wasting all our time pursuing all this other stuff, looking for peace when we haven't got peace. And knowing that even when we find what we think is peace, it doesn't deliver. Still we're left with the dilemma, where should we go next? When we see God, we think, oh, here it is. Here it is in him. And our hearts begin to melt. And all of a sudden we realize that our unrest in our spirit, our lack of peace in the light of his peace and rest makes us feel completely unworthy of him. We feel foolish in his presence. Almost like, how, how can you accept me, God? I've been rejecting you so long in terms of my pursuit for what I want, my fulfillment. And now I've seen it in you, I'm not even sure that you'll accept me. I'm not even sure I can receive the peace that you've got for me. You see it in the Bible all the time. When people encounter God, they, go, they say, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. And this is the beautiful mix of what it means to become a follower of Jesus, to become a Christian, to become a man or woman of God. It's to see God for who he really is, a God who's a good God, a loving God, a peaceful God, a merciful God, a gracious God, a kind God, a gentle God, a God who wants to get alongside you in your world and nurture you, as was prophesied this morning. You see that and you suddenly realize how far short of him you are and you think, I'm I'm doomed. I want your peace, but I I don't know how to receive it. And and God says, well, don't worry. I have got a way through here. And the way through here is my son Jesus, who we've seen is a vessel of peace because he is God. And Colossians 1, verse 9, uh, verse 1, Colossians 1, 19 to 20 comes into play again. It says, God was pleased to have all his dwellness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the bridge between us and God. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker between us and God. We don't find our peace in God. God gives us peace in him. And when we see Jesus and accept his death as the price paid for all our unrest, all the horrible stuff that's in our lives, in order for the slate to be wiped clean, in order to receive God and all his peace and rest, everything changes. That's what turning from going our own way to following God's way looks like. And when that happens, we're humbled because we think, boy, you're a great God and I'm nobody. 
But we're also, our hearts melt in love. We think, I'm just going to follow you the rest of my days. And Jesus becomes number one. Which is why for many of us in this room, we come to church on Sunday to worship him because he's changed our lives radically. That's what it is to have peace with God. My question to us is, are you at peace with God this morning? Do you know him? Because he's here and available for you today to encounter and change your life completely upside down. So that's the first type of peace that he offers. It's peace with him, initiated by him. Massively important. Second is peace with each other. Peace with each other. Again, this is something that loads and loads of people in life want to do and do well. It is right to live at peace with each other, to want to have peace with our fellow man and woman, and particularly in the light of the upheaval of political debate and wars and terror and all that kind of stuff. Because it can make you think, oh, I don't know, how, how can I get along with people? And, so, and that's a message that comes through in the world's thinking, and it's a good message. But it's also from God, in the Bible, written down, that we should live at peace with one another. Romans 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Matthew 23, sorry, 22, 39. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's God saying, I want you to be in genuine harmony with people. Genuine understanding of people. Genuine acceptance of people. Genuine goodwill towards people. It's my charge to you to be a peacemaker as a follower of Jesus. And the challenge is, can you really bring peace the type of peace that God wants us to bring if you're not at peace with him in the first place. God says, get at peace with me and then bring my kind of peace to the world. Peace with ourselves. That's with each other, sorry. So we've had peace with God and we've had peace with each other and then we do have peace with ourselves. Peace with ourselves. What does that mean? It means that if you are not at peace, if you are someone who is searching for something you haven't found it yet, if you have unrest in you or unease, if you're on a, a journey trying to find peace because you know you haven't found it yet, how on earth can you give it out to anybody? Because you haven't found it yourself yet. It doesn't work. It's almost hypocritical. When you receive the peace of God, when you receive the knowledge of how much he loves you, when you receive the knowledge of how much he understands you and is for you and will journey with you and will always forgive you and always encourage you, when you receive that, all of a sudden, massive security comes. Massive peace in your life and my life comes. We feel good about ourselves, whole about ourselves. We think, yeah, I'm at peace with God and I'm at peace with myself because I know that he loves me and I know that he cares for me and I know that he's for me. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. and I've got nothing else to prove to anybody at that point. And because I've got nothing else to prove, I can be a genuine ambassador of peace because it's not about me, it's about you and me sharing peace with you. You've got to be at peace with yourself. Peace with ourselves comes with getting peace with God first. So peace with God is the trigger for us bringing to peace to others and having peace for ourselves. That's the kind of peace that God has to offer. So what have we learned so far? God is absolutely massive on peace. That's point one. Second, that the type of peace that God gives us is completely different to any other kind of peace that anybody else has to offer. And it's a peace with God, a peace with each other, and a peace with ourselves. That's the teaching to try and get in to all of us how important peace is from God to us. Are we getting it? Are we letting it sink? Know that it's a God-given thing, that it's peace that he wants us 
to live in. The question is, of course, how does it all work out in real life? How does it work out in real life? How does it work out for you? And how does it work out for me? Let's go back to that verse in Matthew 5, verse 9. Here it is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. When I started with that very brief, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter, illustration, I didn't just throw it in there as a trivial story. I often do that, as you know, when I preach. I just tell you a story for no reason whatsoever, and you think, that's a waste of time, Gus, but I did enjoy it. Sometimes I say things, and you think, oh, I wonder when that's coming back in the preach. Uh, I'm just assuming that's what happened to you when you're listening to me, because it could be that you just forget it and think that's a complete waste of time. Sometimes you forgot that I even told the story. And you're so into the theology, you think, oh, I, I had forgotten there was an illustration. Perhaps that's the case this morning. But the point of the like father, like son, like mother, like daughter thing is this. That this verse, Matthew 5, verse 9, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. It's basically saying, look, if God is a God of peace, and we've seen that he is, and we are followers of Jesus if we are, we are therefore peacemakers. It's like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. We have something of God's peace to offer everybody that we encounter in whatever context we are in. And that is what this verse is saying. We need to bring something of God's family trait, family characteristic to everybody that we encounter. Because if we are in God, then we have the peace that we want to bring to everybody. That's the point of it. It's something that's in the family, that's different to those that aren't in the family. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I don't use that language to exclude you. What I'm saying is there is peace for you, the like of which you have never understood yet or experienced yet if you don't know God. And when you get it, your world will be turned upside down. It's our job as followers of Jesus to show you that peace and that love, if we can, in a way that's meaningful. So how do we do it then? This is where I've got eight practical tips now, hopefully I've won your favor already because the seven that I've had already and the three that I've done already, it's only taken, what, about 15, 20 minutes? So this will take another 10 and, boy, it's a Gus Rosier half an hour rather than Asian Hearst 50 minute. Quality, though. It is quality, that is true. So let's look at these and, as I say, some of these, I hope, will resonate with you and with me. Not, not necessarily all of them, but some of them might. And as I speak them down, be thinking, which one is the one that I need God to help me in, to do better in, because God can help us. So here they are. I'll read them out first. Prayer, not silence. Truth, not falsehood. Encouragement, not gossip. Inclusion, not exclusion. Integrity, not dishonesty. Self-giving, not self-serving. Forgiveness, not bitterness. Unity, not factions. We're going to zip through these reasonably quickly. Let's start with the first one. Prayer, not silence. Let's come back to Jeremiah 29.7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We often say in church circles that if we don't know what to do because we have no idea how to change something that it seems impossible to change, even though we have a heart to want to try and change it, because it seems too big, we can at least pray. That is the one thing we can at least do. This verse is massive because God is exhorting Israel to, to pray for Babylon, a city in which they were exiled into, for its peace and for its prosperity. It's a command to pray for something they didn't even want to be in. It probably seemed pointless 
and helpless and hopeless for them to do it. And yet God said, I want you to pray for that city, even though you're a captive in it. And the charge for us is exactly the same. And we're not even captives in Birmingham. Well, some of you might think that you are. But most of us really enjoy, love living in this city. We feel God has placed us here. We know God has got great plans for this city. And we want to play our part in changing it. And part of our part in changing it is praying for it. If we do nothing else, prayer, not silence. Which is why we gathered on Wednesday evening prior to the general election to shape the whole nation by our prayers that evening. Little did we know that our prayers were going to change things the way that things have changed. I say that lightly. Basically, we prayed that God's peace would come. We did pray that whoever got into power would know something of God's leading. We did pray that there would be integrity in the leadership. Now, we can discuss the whole political arena. Of course we can. But I'm still praying that. Whatever it looks like. For the good of the nation, for the right people to have a humble heart of integrity and authenticity and honesty and openness. Whatever that looks like. It's great to pray. So let's be peacemakers by at least praying and not staying silent. Second, truth, not falsehood. What What we speak out of our mouths can bring peace to people. It can bring comfort and kindness and gentleness. I've preached on this before, what we speak about. And if you're intrigued and you're thinking, this is one of the best preachers I've ever heard, I need to hear more, get online and increase my hit rate because I'm way behind in the Oasis States. <laughs> no, seriously. It's not about that. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, what comes out of our mouths can bring peace to people. Are you someone that speaks kindly and gently and carefully and wisely and sensitively by you? Or are you someone who's a bit like, you know, what shoot from the hip type person? Don't really think about what you're saying. Or you could be a bit crass or rude. Or your language is a bit like everybody else's language. Because if it is, you're not doing God justice. You're not following the family trait. You're not bringing peace. You're bringing unease. And you're being a sense, well, he's just like everybody else. Or she's just like everybody else. Truth, not falsehood. Let's be peacemakers by speaking the truth, not lies. Third, encouragement, not gossip. Encouragement, not, not gossip. Listen, we need to be a people that affirms and builds up people. Affirm and build up, affirm and build up, affirm and build up, affirm and build up. Do not break down, tear down and accuse. Gossip is so rife in society. Everybody loves talking about everybody else all the time. And I, I know I've done it. We all do it. Don't we? Even if we're speaking well of people, it kind of, it's kind of positive gossip sometimes, which we kind of think is all right. Well, actually, it's okay to speak well of people and build them up. But there are often occasions where somebody who's not there, who hasn't got an opportunity to hear what you're saying or even defend their cause, is being talked about in unhelpful ways. We've all been there. I've been there on many occasions, particularly in a business context, when you're, everybody's chatting around about something and you think, I don't know what to say at this point because this is not, this is not good stuff. There was a person uh, at the Edgbaston Stadium who many of the staff, when we were there, really didn't like very much and would always try and draw us into conversation about criticising them when we were around different members of the staff and our strategy was always to try and affirm and build up that other person and seek an understanding about why they might be the way they were without without taking them down think about that in your context do you like talking about people without them being there in a negative way because if you do you're not bringing peace if you build people up and encourage people that can be a tremendous tonic to people you only have to say the smallest thing sometimes i just thank the cashier in the checkout for serving me and they kind of look at look at me and think who are you? Just a nice bloke trying to be in God's peace. I don't say that. <laughs> Encouragement, not gossip. Let's be peacemakers by encouraging, not gossiping. Fourthly, inclusion, not exclusion. 
there is grace and room for everybody in God. There is grace and room for everybody in God. Again, this is not something that the world just says that's, that's cool and true, although it is cool and true. So it is right, isn't it, that there is, that there's no prejudice, race, colour, creed, culture. We accept all people. Why? Because God does. That's the reason God loves every single person that he's ever created. And they're all different. And that's the wonderful tapestry of life that he's ordained. It's not just political correctness, it's godly living. And it's a great reflection in the church because you see all sorts of different people from all sorts of different walks of life, with all sorts of different experiences, from all different creeds and cultures and countries, coming together under the roof of Jesus Christ, died and resurrected. It's the multicolored facet of God's glory. So let's be advocates of inclusion and reject rejection. That brings peace into whatever context we are in. Fifthly, integrity, not dishonesty. Let's go back to the supermarket. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have. Where in the old days, when you used to pay for things with cash, sometimes you'd give some cash to the supermarket attendant, and occasionally they'd give you the wrong change. That must have happened to you. It's happened to me. And on the occasions where I've noticed, because again, you don't always notice, sometimes you take the change in your hand, don't you? You just shove it in your pocket. Sometimes, on the occasions where I've noticed, I will say to them, oh, you've given me the wrong change, and I'll give it back. And again, they look at you and think, the world's just ended. What's going on here? Why did you give me the money back? The wrong change. Surely you'd want to keep it in your pocket. To which I say, well, actually, I'm a Christian. And uh, the reason I've given you 32 pence back in change is because I wanted to give you an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Because... Jesus is one who, who tries to help us to be someone who lives really well and honestly and with integrity. And I, I'm a Christian and I have integrity and authenticity. So here's your 32 pence back. Would you like to receive him right now? It's having integrity. Being authentic. Having your take. What I would say on this one is this. When people feel safe around you in how you live your life with authenticity and integrity, that brings peace. Because safety equals peace. And if people feel safe around you, they will open your lives up to you. If they think you're just like everybody else, sort of under the radar, trying to beat the system, trying to work things out, unfair game, all that kind of thing. You're just like everybody else. Why would they feel safe around you? If they feel someone who's a solid rock in Jesus, they'll come around you and their lives will very slowly begin to open up and they'll be more open to what you have to say about Jesus and the 32P. Let's be peacemakers by leading with integrity, not dishonesty. Number six, self-giving, not self-serving. Here's some expressions you must have heard these said by people in the past. Number one, look out for number one. That's what people say, isn't it? Or, God helps those who help themselves, doesn't he? Or, don't get mad, get even. Or, I deserve better than this. These are things that people say, aren't they? And what they are is throwaway lines that show us that as human beings, we are utterly and completely self-centered. Really, if we're honest. We do secretly want to look after number one. And secretly, we do want to get even with people sometimes. I'll come back to that in the next point. And sometimes we don't want anybody else doing anything for us. We want to work it out so that we can think, well, I did this. Mark 10 verse 45 says this. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
the pinnacle of Jesus giving his life as a ransom for many was when he died on the cross in order to take the punishment for all the sins of all the world, all the horrible stuff that you and I have to encounter, done to us or that we do ourselves. Jesus was the greatest advocate of peace that has ever existed. He took all that flack and pain and suffering and abuse and torture in order that we didn't have to. And he did it as a self-giving, not self-serving act. That's peace in action. We need to be advocates of peace, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves by being self-givers, not by being self-serving. Are you like that? Am I like that? Number seven, two to go. Forgiveness, not bitterness. Massive. Once had to do a talk at Bluecoat School in uh, Harborn. Uh, I've got a, a famous story that I tell. I hadn't got time to tell it called You Parked Across My Drive. I'm not telling you the story. If you want to hear about it, come and chat to me afterwards. But the title of the talk was Forgiveness Isn't Fashionable. Forgiveness isn't fashionable. What do you think of that? Do you think that's true? Forgiveness isn't fashionable. People don't generally forgive in our culture today. It's far easier to harbour bitterness when things are done towards us or to seek revenge or to want them to get them back to do something to get even to get square forgiveness is not fashionable forgiveness is something that is too difficult to achieve but jesus says forgive it's a way of bringing peace isn't it peter asked jesus one time if someone sins against him how many times should i forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to Seven times, Jesus? How about seven? Quite a good number. Not that many times. Jesus said, no, up to 77 times. Basically, it's not about the numbers. Jesus is basically saying, look, don't forgive as few times as you can possibly get away with in order for you to tick a I've been a good boy box. I want you to forgive so many times that you can't remember how many times you've forgiven because it's now just intrinsically part of who you are to always forgive. Forgiveness brings peace. So we need to, as peacemakers, be forgiving and don't harbour bitterness. And finally, unity, not factions. And this is perhaps one for us more, as we do sometimes do community together as a church. Uh, it's, it's to not be inward-looking and have cliques and have little groups of people that other people can't break into. It can so easily happen. It happens in churches whole, doesn't it? Some churches just think, well, you know, our Catholic churches is it, nobody else is it. The Church of England is it, nobody else is it. The Baptists are it, nobody else is it. And so on and so forth. We work really hard as leaders in this city of Birmingham to build bridges with one another so that as the people who aren't in the church look in, they see a united church at leadership level at least. It needs to be the same in the church as well. Psalm 133, one says, How good and pleasant it is when people live together, God's people, sorry, important, live together in unity. Let's be together in unity. No backbiting, no unforgiveness, no gossiping, no nasty words. Always an arm around the shoulder, always understanding, always time for each other. No groups that are excluding other people to come in. Always welcoming people in because when people look in and see a church that's doing that, they see integrity and authenticity and kindness and goodness and all the things that people want to see. Peace will reign in our church and it will spill out from us to the community at large. Let's be peacemakers through our unity not our factions. So that's it. Peace in the city. God is absolutely massive on peace, as we've seen. His kind of peace is completely different to any kind of peace that the world can offer. 
And his kind of peace is peace with him, peace with each other, peace with ourselves. And then we work it out through prayer, through truth, through encouragement, through inclusion, through integrity, through self-giving, through forgiveness, through unity. Is that what we want to be like this morning? Do we want to be peacemakers? Do we want to be advocates of the character of God following the family trade so that we can show to people that don't yet know it how good he is? I do. I'm pretty sure most of us do in this room. But let's ask God's Holy Spirit to do it in us so it's not just ticking boxes in order to say following Gus's rules this morning, but more, we're out there full of the Holy Spirit showing everybody how amazing God is. So we just stand and I'll pray. Literally, just before I pray again, question for you, question for me. Are you at peace with God this morning? Yes? No? Not sure. Yes? Great. Let's praise God. No? Do you want to be? Or no? I don't want to be. If there's no one I want to be, let's get some prayer together. Would you describe yourself as someone who regularly brings peace into the different situations you have been placed in? Yes? No? Not sure. And if it's not sure, what is God speaking to you about today so that you can be that? I'm just going to pause for 30 seconds, then I'll pray, then I'll close the meeting. And then if anybody wants any prayer, I just ask you to come forward and we'll pray for you. And that's how it will go. So I'll be quiet for a moment. Father, I just want to thank you that you are my peace that you have revealed yourself to me. And I know, Lord God, that what I'm speaking is truth. But I want to thank you that many people in the room know that as well, that you are God of your word, that has peace, that transcends, passes all understanding. It's an amazing thing. Thank you that you've given us that peace through Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, again, that you died and rose again from the dead. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would now touch our hearts and our minds in order to change us into being a people who are peacemakers, peace bringers, peace lovers, in order to change the face of this city, in order to reveal your goodness and your glory. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.